Hi, I'm Todd Herman, and I am a peak performance coach, mentor, and trainer to pro athletes, Olympic athletes, leaders, and entertainers around the world. And on this episode of Curiosity Bites with the man with the plan, Dove Baron, Mr. Dragonfire himself, we're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to talk about the paradigms that people live through. We're going to talk about winners and losers. We're going to be talking about, you know, finding the enemy, conquering the enemy, being okay with the enemy. So many other more subjects that rattle around between the six inches of people's ears. So I hope you stay tuned and dive in. Okay, we are back. My name is Dove Barron. I'm the host of Curiosity Bites. I'm here with my special guest, Todd Herman. He is a high performance coach. I mean, he works with the best of the best in athletics, in business, in leadership, in entrepreneurship. Uh, he's the best-selling author of the uh, ego of the alter ego effect. Um, this is a profoundly insightful book. It confronts things that really need to be confronted, including. Um, what we call an ego, what we call an identity, how we call that um, confronts authenticity and what that is. Um, but where we, where we were finishing up, where I said we wanted to come to was this piece around um, the therapeutic process, um, which is about obviously about looking back and also the high performance, uh, which is about looking forward. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I know that your focus is on, is on, is on uh, looking forward to high performance. Yeah. Um, how important is it to look back? Um, I think it's, uh, it's a quote that I have a problem with is there's no rear view mirror on a plane. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it sounds like a wonderful idea. <laughs> Don't look back, right? Only move forward. Yeah, but you could be moving, moving forward while carrying way too much weight behind you that you don't need to be carrying because mm -hmm. you haven't for a second resolved it. So I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a, you know, even in the systems that we create for people, feedback loops are important. Yes. You know, every single great athlete goes out onto the field, they perform, they do something, then they come off and and they unpack the performance. They look right. at the game film, right? Yeah. And, and, and from that, you can gain insights. You can gain perspective. You can gain awareness about your tendencies that might be, you know, um, getting in the way of the performance that you want, right? So, um, and, that's, and that is a part of the performance cycle, right? Yeah. Now, what, now, my form of looking back there isn't the same as, you know, the therapeutic side of things, which is, trying to create what I think is resolution or new meaning from past events that might be, you know, really heavy weights that you don't even realize are driving a lot of your behaviors or your emotional uh, state. You know, and again, I come from personal experience, had, you know, traumatic experience that happened to me at a young age. And, you know, the weight of that, you know, I, any successes that I've had in life has been a result of up until about two and a half years ago, me putting the pedal to the proverbial floor and revving the engine into the red line of, of life. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that a big chunk of my life has been pursuing and achieving things despite being worn out a lot of times at the same time, right. because of this emotional, you know, consternation that it was, was ruling a big part of my, 
my, my life and being triggered by a lot of trauma and PTSD and things like that. So, um, you know, I, as a part of the process of working pe- with people, you do, you just end up find finding that some people are driven by some very dark and negative things. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the insight that I got was many of them, cause they said this, Todd, uh, cause I have, I mean, I think a big part of my responsibility of working with people is also surrounding myself with other phenomenal leaders in whatever domain that they're in subject matter expertise they're in and making sure that I refer them off. Whereas I think some people think that they've got subject, subject matter expertise across all domains and they try to solve them with their clients. And that's when they do to, to one of the things that you were saying earlier, that's they do harm more harm than they do do good, like yeah. know the lane that you're in and I'm in the performance lane and I like staying in that performance lane. Plus I just love being around other really freaking smart people because I learn a lot from them. Now, could I actually probably help people navigate some of the therapeutic side of things? A hundred percent. I know I could, but I'm not going to be as good as the person who dedicates every single hour of their day to it. And that's not what I do. I dedicate hundred percent of my day to the performance side. So, um, but one of the interesting, um, comments that I started getting was, yeah, but I'm worried that if I get rid of that, then I'm not going to be able to perform at the same level because they had attached so much of their identity of who they are on the court from the rage and anger of that other thing that might've been driving them. Right. And, and so my job was like, no, 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 who you are out there isn't just, isn't because of that thing. That thing has actually nothing to do with why you're able to perform. You're able to perform because you're freaking good. Your skills are there, you know, the desire that you have to go out there and win. Like you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have to, you don't have to lose those things just because you resolve something, some, some, something that could be very painful. So um, yeah, I think they're both important, but here's what I also know is you can't wait until you're fixed in life to continue to perform. And that's, that for me is the key. I mean, I think that people don't deal with the, their past and they repeat it. And they're, and they're driven by things that are demons rather than dragons. And I make the difference between the two. A dragon has big wings and breathes fire, and it is a force moving forward. A demon is always trying to pull you down, mm-hmm. keep you small. And I think there's a big difference. I, I want to ride my dragon. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I might, that's why we talk about dragon fire. And I use the analogy of dragons uh, as a as uh, I am the dragonist. That is my alter ego. Mm-hmm. And the thing about dragons is, when you meet me, you know you're not meeting somebody small. Um, and by that, I don't mean physiologically, because as you know, you're taller than I am. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a build and all this, but it's not about that. It's you're not meeting somebody small. You're meeting somebody powerful. But within a few minutes of meeting me, you also know that you're meeting somebody with a ton of heart. And, and the reason I love the metaphor of the dragon is because here's this massive, powerful beast who arrives and breathes fire onto the lies, as I say. But this right here in a dragon, that uh, where all the layers are on that particular scale is soft. Mm-hmm. The one over the heart is a soft scale. The way to kill a dragon is that it's a soft scale. So it comes at you with fire, but it also leads with heart. And I just love that metaphor. And I'm always like, okay, I need to step into my dragon self mm-hmm. to do this. As you know, you talk about taking on the identity. But 
I know that I was not able to do that until I resolved the history. Um, and I think that I see that people who achieve, and you, you know this too, achieve enormous success and are freaking miserable. Mm-hmm. Miserable because they've not dealt with that history. Yeah. They need to. So they walk around in a perpetual state of shame while living the uh, Instagram life, smiling with a glass of champagne, and uh, meanwhile, not very happy individuals are not. Yeah. They don't have that bliss that we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, talk to us about, because you've had, I mean, you've had that personal experience. We touched on it in, in the previous interview. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that drive that burns you out versus who you are now, which doesn't give me that sense of you driving from a place of, um, I've just got to drive. Yeah. So one of the, you know, you've seen this before where, um, so much of we well, we see it in the marketing world anywhere where, where people are talking about their, you know, you got to tell your origin story because you move people to action with emotion. And then you see that people take it way too far where they sell, you know, if they were doing a webinar, it's, it's like the opening of the webinar is a 25 minute long sob story just to try to manipulate people into liking them, you know, and so they can see themselves in that person. And I get all those things are important. So I never did that. I, I always led with my brain, I guess. Um, I didn't, you know, maybe, maybe I had a, a, I had a veneer around me because fundamentally I didn't want people to find out the skeletons in the closet from the past. Right. And so that's, that's some of the stuff that was exhausting to me was being so overly worried and concerned. And it wasn't about getting people to like me as I just didn't, I was not emotionally prepared to ever talk about some of those things that happened to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's what was exhausting was, was trying to, it's, there's the analogy as I think it, um, I forget who uses this analogy because uh, I want to give them proper credit. It's a, it's a woman she wrote um, about the shadow and, mm-hmm. and she talks about, you know, if you're, if you're standing in a pool and you're trying to keep a beach ball under the water, you can do it, but it's difficult. You can sit on top of it, but you're probably going to roll around if you're on top of it, but trying to keep Debbie Ford. Thank you. Yes. She's the one who said it. Um, Trying to keep multiple beach balls below the surface is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I felt like I was doing was trying to, because I didn't want them to surface so people could see those paths that I had. And that's what was so exhausting to me. Um, it wasn't because I was trying to be fake or I wasn't, it was just because I just didn't want those things. Cause I wasn't, I couldn't have stood on stage and talked about, you know, the, you know, abuse that I was, um, you know, you know, a party of or a party to, um, and, and be able to do it, you know, cause you know, when you're standing on stage doing a speech, the last thing you want is to be a puddle on the middle of the floor. Right. I would, I would never have been able to do those and talk openly about the, um, the abuse that I, um, that happened to me. Now I can, it has no emotional control over me whatsoever. I don't care that people, you know, know about it, you know, and if they want, if they want to, if somehow people want to build a story and a narrative in their head that they look down on me because it happened, you know, which wasn't a choice of mine. I didn't choose for that to happen to me. Um, then that's on them, not on me. And, uh, and so it is, that's where it's not. So the pursuit of what I was always working with people on still came from a pure place. Now 
I'm not exhausted by also trying to keep something else behind me um, from surfacing. So, um, whereas I think some people are trying to pander to an audience thinking that they need to hear something in a certain way so they get influencer status and it's just exhausting. Again, like I've, I've, because of the writing of the book, I've had, you know, just so many different people reach out to me and there's this one individual who's fairly big in the influencer space. She has one of the largest travel kind of Instagram channels and through her, because she resonated with the book so much, she's talked about it with her audience then a bunch, a bunch of these other influencers have reached out because, and and because their their exact expression is when you talk about in the third chapter of your book, the trapped self versus the heroic self. I feel like I'm trapped, like I'm creating a trap for myself, and uh, and yeah, and it's because your motivations are that of the outside. You're trying to impress a group of people out here as opposed to showing up how you most want to show up as. Yeah, so. You told a story last time, and, and I think it's important for people to hear it, mm-hmm. about that moment for you when you realized that you are exhausted from yeah. holding down the beach ball um, that made you decide to confront the shame that you were walking around with. Can you share yeah. that? I was, um, it was right after my, our third boy was born, Charlie. Uh, back in February of 2017. And it was a very rough birth. Um, had to do an emergency C-section. My wife was um, went through a lot. And anyways, it was a pretty, it was a tough birth. Mm-hmm. And uh, now Charlie and Valerie are back home in, in New York City in our apartment here. And uh, I was going to Chelsea Piers, which is the largest sports complex in all of Manhattan. We lived right by it. That's where they went to preschool. So I went to go pick up Molly and Sophie. And Molly was just about four and Sophie was two and a half. And as I'm picking them up, I put, I put Sophie inside the, uh, the carriage. And then I pick up Molly, put her inside the, the carriage too. And as I do, Molly, who are, my oldest, is just this really like kind and sweet and, you know, super emotionally aware kid. And she puts her hand up and, and we're like buddies. Like she's a little buddy. And um, she puts her hand up to my face and she said, daddy, are you happy? And I said, yeah, I'm happy. Why? And she said, oh, cause you've been yelling at us, at us a lot lately and it's making us sad. And I was like, secondhand trauma. I, and I started bawling in the middle of Chelsea Piers, you know, but, you know, pushing this little carriage. And um, I thought to myself, I am not giving my kids secondhand trauma. And, and that's what it was because of the, because of the experience of, um, Charlie and Valerie on top of what also happened was I started uh, that at the exact same time of business partner at the time started um, trying to act against me behind the scenes. And, you know, so I started a lawsuit against him and it was all this stuff. And, and it was actually the lawsuit that triggered this feeling of being trapped, which was the experience that I had when I was a kid. Um, and that's where I was, I made the resolution. Now I wish I'd went home and started the pathway right then and there because no one had ever known what had happened to me. I'd never told anybody, not, not a parent, not a friend, not my wife, wife. not my wife, not until about four months later did I finally kind of break down and tell my wife. And then from there, that's when I got, 
you know, started getting, going into like getting a treatment and, and really the biggest, the biggest treatment path that helped me the most was um, plant-based medicine stuff, MDMA therapy. Cause I was in the largest, I was a participant in the largest study on MDMA and its effects on PTSD. And that was at Bellevue hospital sponsored by NYU and the maps Institute. And that was just absolutely transformational. And then the really dark depression that I was under for such a long time because of it, that didn't get resolved from the MDMA, but psilocybin was the next phase in the kind of treatment approach. Um, and that was just like the emergency break on life being released. It was incredible. Can you tell us a bit more about that? About well, the base and the yeah. MDMA? Because, you know, people, in case you don't know, MDMA is, is ecstasy. And if you've heard of it, you probably think of a bunch of kids at, yeah. at, at, at a rave. Um, and if you've heard of psilocybin, mushrooms. You know, magic mushrooms, then you're probably thinking of your drunken yeah. uh, country f cousins who are, you know, trying to tip over cows. Um, this is a very different thing. So let, let's just... Yeah, context matters, right? So if you're taking it recreationally, you're going to have a recreational experience. When you're taking it under therapeutic, you know, um, context, it's a very different experience that you're having there. And, and, and I mean, the studies, like they've been studied for a long time. Um, unfortunately, back in the 1970s, when they were made um, illegal schedule one drugs, um, they, they've done a massive disservice. And, you know, through the MAPS Institute, which is a phenomenal institute that's been studying this for a very long time. And then last, last year, the report came up. There's a huge study on psilocybin right now going on in Switzerland. And the results of it are just absolutely phenomenal with regards to um, either helping people with uh, depression um, or um, anxiety and stress disorders, or even helping them with overcoming smoking and cessation type mm -hmm. things as well. Um, the success rate is just truly incredible. Another study uh, came out, in um, from UPenn in um, Pennsylvania on the latest study. Now they only had about 25 participants in this one study, but I believe, don't take this as a direct quote, but I believe the success rate on helping people overcome the depression was 81 or 82%. Now that's an insane, you know, if you're in the mental health world, which I've been in for, for a long time, and um, that is an insane, cure rate on it meaning the and same thing with mdma um the the recurrence of the uh depression doesn't come back um at all so um it's incredible and i was one of those people that was like i was i was the anti-drug flag flag waving dude for the longest time i'm like oh look right. at all these weak people with their you know you know stupid judgments that i had and um, now that I've learned so much more about the plant-based medicines, I mean, I can't wait for them to be legalized under the, underneath the context of therapy, at least at the very least, because man, it is like a um, vortex with how fast it can pull you through and get you to resolve the, uh, the, the really sticky traumas that many people struggle with. Are those the only two you've used? Right now, yeah, those are the only two that I've used right now. Are you are you looking into other explorations around that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sort of in. Um, LSD would be another one that I would be interested in uh, using as well, because actually, in combination, possibly. And again, this isn't me saying go do this on your own. No, no, this not is, at all. Well, I just want to say that to other people because no, you know it is the context and using a 
you know, whether it's a therapist or a um, well-trained expert guide on these, because there's some people who are not quote therapists. They don't have a bunch of letters behind their name, but they've been using these in the underground for decades and are phenomenal practitioners of it. So LSD, like combinations of like, you know, two of these together can be another powerful um, cocktail to help people. Well, there's, I mean, again, massive amounts of research. And actually one of our guests on, here on Curiosity Bites is one of the experts on microdosing LSD. Yeah. And the cure rate for depression and PTSD is insanely high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, makes Prozac and all that nonsense just look, look like what it is, which is bullshit. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so powerful and uni- uh, and just. And, and, and Dove, on this, on this topic, I've said this consistently to people. The last thing that people, some people need is another book to go read or another leadership conference or another coach to go and consume because some of their issues are actually chemical inside yes. their body. And so because the effects, when you're, when you're someone who's in a depression or you're in a depressive state, you're depressed, um, it's lethargy the lack of clarity because your brain is in a fog because that's the experience of it chemically. Um, you have procrastination and avoidance behavior, right? So those, just take those four things right there. Yeah. What most people do is they're in that experience. It's only your experience because all you know is your own experience and you start to judge yourself that you're a loser or that I can't find the motivation to do things. And you think it's because you don't have a good enough goal because you read some bullshit book that, you know, only the people who've been successful in life have goals or you don't have a purpose in your life. No, no, no. It's not any of this shit. It's that you have a chemical imbalance going on inside of your body and it's causing these things. And then you're taking the cause and you're inferring it and creating a story out of it that you're this, you're that, you're whatever it is. And so that's why, you know, I had to create or had to make mental health and the tracking of it a big part of the process of working with top performers because the nature of the top performance world is it's rarefied air. The oxygen up there, it's thinner at the top. There's also more arrows that come your way. And if you don't have thick skin or to, and you're dealing with depressive um, uh, chemicals inside the body, boy, you're, it's fraught with some peril for people. So Anyways, that's why I'm super excited about what the possibilities are going to happen in the next couple of years with the, you know, what will be the legalization? Because it'll be impossible for Congress to have 200 former veterans or veterans sitting inside of the audience at Congress and them denying them MDMA therapy when the results of it are that, that it's going to help them recover, recover from PTSD far faster than any other forms of therapy have so far. But now we come back to the word I used earlier, which I think is something that doesn't get addressed, which is shame. Mm. You know, events happen in your life um, by your own path or by somebody else's, whatever term you want to use. And we carry shame around it. Um, I believe in something called healthy shame. Healthy shame is when I decide I am so ashamed of that behavior. I will never do it again. That's a healthy shame I've imposed upon myself. Sure. Unhealthy shame is what's put on me. Um, and, but unhealthy shame also can be internal in that uh, I'm shameful that I'm depressed. I'm shameful that yeah. I can't move with this without examining the, 
the the issues that I need to examine. Um, and I even as a therapist, I say to people sometimes, you know, I'm really good at what I do. But and and by the way, folks, I'm not a therapist anymore. It's not what I do. It's just part of the work that I do. Yeah. But what I say to people all the time is that if your brain's in a fog, it doesn't matter how brilliant I am. You can't think clearly. You got to get that fog out of the way. However, this shame piece is people go, well, you know, I, I'm shameful about admitting that I went and took psilocybin or I'm shameful about getting even Prozac or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, and then of course the other side of it is I'm shameful that I'm feeling empty and I've got a million bucks in the bank and I've got the Lamborghini and I've got yeah. all those things. So, how do we, you know, do you, do you confront that? Do you find that that is the, the, this unprocessed uh, shame is going on? Um, I can't say that I necessarily confront it. I mean, I'll, I'll try to talk to someone about, you know, having a different frame around maybe what they're, what the meaning it is, but I don't know. There's some of this stuff that I am unqualified in being an expert on, right? Like, um, well, the reason I'm asking you is because one of the one of the foundations of the pieces that I've heard you talk about is grit. Yeah, and, and you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is uh, a psychologist um, with the military. She's the top psychologist um, with them. And we talked about grit and she goes, do you know how much like it, the word grit is associated with the seals, right? With the Navy seals. And she goes, do you know how much they hate that word? Mm. And I said, tell me why. And she goes, because everybody has grit until they don't. There comes a point where you don't, you just, you're beyond grit. Yeah. And, and I want to sort of talk to that because you have, um, you have a, a process, uh, a mechanism for taking people through, uh, I think you said it was seven, seven, se is it seven strategies or seven uh, elements of uh, mental toughness? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and therefore grit. Talk to us about, you know, cause I want to look at that tie between shaming myself because I'm not tough enough versus having the kind of grit you're talking about? Well, I mean, I think what's important in that distinction that she's making too is that people think that grit is the only tool, right? Like that's, that's it, is that you know, grit's not the only tool. No. It's, it is a tool, but it's not the, you know, that's why we have the problem with people saying that, you know, there's only three things that you need to be successful in life. And it's just not like, it's, it's a simple thing. That's a simple way of putting it. It'd be lovely if that was the case, mm -hmm. but you know, people have achieved. And again, it's, it's depending on domains that you're trying to compete in and, and, or create something in. So yeah, but you know, grit for me is the, the story that people are telling themselves about what they're capable of doing and what they're capable of handling. And then even more important is what they're what they're capable of handling with the help and camaraderie of other people, right? You know, I had such a horrible psychology when I first started out where I wanted to climb to the top of the mountain and plant my flag at the top. And I didn't want anyone to help me because mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be able to stand on the top of the mountain and say, look at what I did. 
I yes. did this, you know, the farm kid from Nowhereville, Alberta, and I climbed to the top of the, the, you know, whatever heap it was, the coaching space or the, you know, the sports world, and I did it on my own. And, and, and I refused to ask for help. And then um, it was Jim that actually said to me, he's like, well, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, cause I had said that to him, that's my pursuit is I want to do that and I want to do it on my own. And he's like, that's the stupidest because nobody who's ever achieved anything great went and did it on their own. And that's one of the problems with the whole self-made person, you know? Oh, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, all right. Yeah, I get it. You think that you're self-made. Well, in order for you to make something, you need to have some other resources given to you typically made by guess what? Someone fucking else. Um, right. So yeah, it was such a horrible psychology. So I think it's, you know, because grit elevates itself when you're around other people that have got grit too. So like, I want to be in that bubble. And I, and I, and I, I'm just, I'm the type of person that I like passing off the sunlight or the, you know, the aromatic scent of, um, you know, compliment to the other people who've helped me along the way. That's why for me, like I was, when I was struggling earlier with um, Debbie Ford's name, like I want to make sure I quote people that have said something to me that are meaningful or that gave me a tool. And I could say, you know, Dove Baron is the one who said this to me and boy, did that ever change the way that I was thinking about that one particular thing. And I like that idea of dragon fire. And I like the difference between demons and dragons and because demons do, they drag you down even metaphorically throughout history. That's what you see as demons coming up from, you know, the paintings that were done in the ninth and the 1500s of them pulling you down. And then there's an angel that's trying to pull you up, except I like the idea of a dragon more than an angel because fuck, who doesn't like something that breathes fire, right? So, exactly. um, uh, you know, like, so, you know, I like that stuff and I, right. and I like repeating that about other people, but, you know, grit for me is um, helping people to, again, that's the idea of blisters. No, I, yeah. I want you to continuously do hard thing. That's why I like mental toughness or leadership. Those aren't two things you can learn. You can't learn them. Those are only earned. The difference between learning and earning. There are only, the best things in life are earned. And most of the best things are only earned in the fires. That's where you forge steel, right? Yep. And, and so, you know, it's like, oh, I get that you think that walking through that bog over there is going to be shitty, but I'm like, no, 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 that bog isn't long enough. I want a longer bog. Like, mm -hmm. I want to show you just how far I can go. Plus, I want to see just how much I've got to get through it. So while everyone else avoids the brambles and the bogs, it's just like, I know that on the other side of that is typically the treasure. Mm, yeah. It's uh, uh, Alistair Crawley, who you may or may not know, but Alistair Crawley was a great metaphysician um, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, who was quite out there and wacky. Um, but, definitely thought about the world in ways that nobody else did. And he was, mm. was born in Leeds um, in Northern England in Yorkshire. And um, as a boy, his father was a naturist and his father would take him out a naturalist and would take him out and show him the plants and, and the trees and explain what they were and all these kinds of things. And when he was about seven or eight, his father pointed to this nettle bush and he said, this is a nettle bush. And, and, uh, don't touch that because if you touch it, it gives you welts and all the rest of it. And, you know, and then his father sort of strolled on and his father would sort of stroll on and find something and then the boy would run up. And Alistair Crowley is this seven or eight year old boy um, 
when his father walked on, he stayed at the nettles and his father suddenly realized he was gone. So his father went back to find him. And when he found him, he was naked in the nettle bush. <laughs> and his father said, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I needed to understand it. I didn't need to, I, you know, the understanding that comes from the experience, mm-hmm. which is the experiential learning, which is the earning. Yeah. And I, and I in a world full of uh, social media superstars, so that to me is the rarefied air, is the, the earning through the experience that I can say, listen, I walk that path. Yeah. I know what that path is like. May not have been in the same realm as you, but I've walked that path. And I can give you an insight into that path you don't have. Um, and, and show you a way to it. But it, and it's one of the things I say to my clients, and I, I'm pretty sure you do too, which is we're going down a road and there's places in this road, you will hate me. And I'm okay with that because I'm not here for you to be my best mate. Yeah. I'm here to get you to where you want to go to. And I'm willing to have you hate me because I'm willing to fight for you when you want to quit. Yeah. I will fight for you when you want to quit. I am that guy. Yeah. No, it's, it, 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 the way that you say that is exactly how I say it too. Like, I'm not here to be your best friend. And in fact, one of my NHL clients um, and friends posted up, uh, he was resharing something else that I'd shared on Instagram. And, uh, and he had said, uh, I'm going to miss the quote exactly, but he said, um, working with Todd isn't fun, but boy, does it get you results. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Beautifully said. I know we have to go and we have to finish. Um, so um, I just want to thank you for being with us. This has been amazing. Uh, I've loved our conversation. Yeah. Um, please tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find out more about you and all of your amazing resources. Um, well, you can find me somewhere falling behind uh, Dove somewhere because he's got such good <laughs> So well, my home base on the internet is toddherman.me. Um, and, uh, you know, for more information and resources we've got around my, my book, The Alter Ego Effect, they can go to alteregoeffect.com. I actually did come up with another book on the one-year anniversary of Alter Ego Effect, um, which is called My Super Me which is actually the children's book version of it. Oh, um, fantastic. So I wanted to take the ideas of, you know, how you can develop this like heroic self within, but bringing down to the message of, of young kids. Um, and I'll even just start, I just I want to read just like a couple of first pages here for people, because I think it's, um, uh, it resonates. I mean, I had the, uh, the CEO of, or the head of Pepsi buy 25,000 copies for every single um, employee because he nice. got, came, across, came across it, but it starts with sometimes things are hard. Sometimes things are tough. Sometimes we try and we try and it's still not enough. Things are heavy. They're scary. They're new. They're old. Things are too hard, too loud, too hot or too cold. When things are too something to this or to that, I may get quite angry, upset, or just sad. But then I remember that I'm never alone. I remember my power that's mighty and strong. And it goes on from there, but it's just a story of a little boy who has this stuffed animal named captain storm and he sort of adopts the qualities of captain storm to help him sort of battle life's challenges so i love that love yeah. it hold it up again yeah right there right so my my super me finding the courage for tough stuff fantastic we will definitely share that out too 
Uh, hope yeah. you'll stay with us to the end and, and we're just going to say goodbye to everybody else. If you want to join in this conversation, you want to be part of this community, go find us on Facebook. There's a group there called Curiosity Bites and you can have discussions about this and let's, let's continue this conversation because I promise you there is so much more in the book. We didn't get to talk about um, about totems. We didn't get to talk about stepping into an image of yourself, uh, what happens when you yeah. put on a uniform, which is definitely an issue of today. As we're recording this, there's, a, there's so much more in that book and you can definitely dig deep into it. But, you know, as always, if you dig into it and you read it, that's great. What are you going to do with it? That's mm -hmm. what really counts. So again, I want to thank you all for, for tuning in and uh, for for rating, review, and subscribing to the show and sharing it with everybody you know. Till next time, I'm Dolph Barron. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious about what your alter ego might be that's powerful and empowering over yourself and over your limitations. 